This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, is Christmas unbelievable? We're asking today's big question to Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin. Rebecca holds a PhD from Cambridge and has extensive experience developing content at the highest level. She's an award-winning author and has just released a new book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? And she joins me now. Rebecca, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thanks for having me. I wish I was there in person. So, Rebecca, Christmas is approaching. You've written a book about Christmas. They say it's the most wonderful time of the year. What do you love about Christmas? People always ask me that, and I'm a little bit like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens's famous Christmas Carol in that I'm not big into all the sort of frills around Christmas. I'm happy to do it. I've got three kids, so we do, you know, we've got a Christmas tree up and, and whatnot. But I'm, I actually don't have a lot of sentimental attachment to the frills around Christmas. But I, I really do love the actual central message of Christmas. So I'm sort of a less Santa, more manger kind of girl. Right. Okay. Well, I suppose maybe that's connected to the book that you've just written, which is, Is Christmas Unbelievable?, which can be ordered through thegoodbook.com.au. So, Rebecca, what made you write a book about Christmas? I think Christmas is a time of year that probably many of us enjoy, whether or not we believe that Jesus even existed, let alone that he is the sort of son of God made flesh. And what I wanted to do in this book is to take a hard look Uh, those questions which might actually push somebody who, you know, maybe just doesn't give Christianity a lot of thought, honestly, but enjoys Christmas, might push them to think, well, actually, this story is either true or it's not. Mm. And whether it's true or not, turns out to have some real consequences for our lives today beyond whether or not we happen to have a sort of manger scene up or a nativity scene up or an advent calendar, all the sort of uh, little things that people sometimes do around Christmas. So I wanted to kind of almost ask those awkward questions that you wouldn't want to ask your grandma at you know, Christmas dinner on a Christmas day. You wouldn't want to hurt her feelings by asking or questioning some of the things mm. that maybe she believes that maybe you. I wanted to sort of ask those awkward questions and see whether there are reasonable answers. Um, so why do you think that your grandmother wouldn't like those questions? I don't want to speak for other people's grandmas or even, or even for my own especially. But I think there's a strong sense that, that people have, for understandable reasons, that you don't really want to rock the boat around Christmas. Whether Jesus really lived, whether he was in fact born of a virgin, whether he is who he claims to be, is sort of a, a side issue to whether we can enjoy a Christmas dinner and you know, maybe sing a few carols and, and have a, a little bit of a heartwarming time. And I sort of want to at the same time, take the magic out of Christmas and put it back in, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and, um, I, I had an interesting conversation with my second daughter when she was four, she was now nine, where I was reading her one of the um, Christmas stories in, in the Bible, it's actually in Luke's Gospel, um, where the angel Gabriel uh, tells this young woman, Mary, that she's going to have a baby. And after I'd read this story, my four-year-old said to me, I don't believe that. And I thought, oh, interesting. Uh, you know, I wonder which piece of this she doesn't believe, because there was an awful lot of sort of unbelievable things in the story. And it turned out it was the angel. <laughs> so she, she was old enough to know not to believe in fairies. And so for her, an angel showing up in the Bible was kind of like Tinkerbell just you know, interrupted what was going on. And she was like, I, I, I don't believe this stuff. And actually, I, I, was, I was really glad that she was making that statement, questioning in that way, rather than just saying, okay, 
okay, sounds great, mum. Yeah, thanks, lovely. Which I think we're probably tempted to do with our, yeah. our grandmas. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so hence, I suppose this is the reason for your book, I suppose, is, it? is Christmas unbelievable? Because there are unbelievable or seemingly unbelievable elements to it. Uh, in fact, some people even call Christmas Christmas where Christmas is just simply a myth. Um, so you can appreciate why people might approach Christmas that way or find things hard to believe. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I ask the questions I do in the book. The, the first one, honestly, is did Jesus even exist? And, you know, I think some people feel like that question is still really doubtful and therefore it's not really worth them even thinking about what he said or the claims made about him because what if he's just a, a mythical character, essentially, maybe sort of loosely based on something or other, but but certainly not a kind of clear historical character. So that in the first chapter of my book, I look at that question. Mm. And the reality is, whether you are a sort of ardent Christian or a hardcore atheist, um, if you consult any legitimate historian in Australia, in America, in the UK, wherever you want to in the world, you'll find that actually the evidence for the existence of Jesus of Nazareth and the basic factors of his life, so you know, when he um, lived, the fact that he was a Jewish rabbi who was claiming to be the, the Christ, i.e. The, the king that God had been promising to send to the Jewish centuries. And he was crucified under the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and was subsequently worshipped by his followers as, as a god. All of that is attested in documents outside of the Bible, written mm. by people who didn't even like Christians. So the, the extremely strong historical consensus, whatever else you think about Jesus, is that he did exist and that at least the, the very basic facts um, about him, the Bible claims are in fact true historically. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, why don't we actually start thinking about this Christmas story? Your book is is Christmas Unbelievable. That's today's big question. So, Rebecca, maybe as we start thinking about Christmas, why don't we look at the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, and we can see maybe how unbelievable it really is. So, from Matthew two eighteen to nineteen, it says, "This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about." His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, as you've just said, Rebecca, this is recorded in the Bible and you say that Jesus really did exist, but why should we believe that this is even historical information? Isn't this maybe just, perhaps it's just a fable or or fantasy like another Christmas movie perhaps? Yeah, there are a number of reasons why people have legitimate doubts and questions around the, the virgin birth of Jesus, or actually what's more importantly, the sort of uh, virgin conception of Jesus, which is what the Bible claims, both in, in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, um, both of them make that claim. One is, I think for a lot of people, they might say, you know what, I believe in God, maybe, but the idea of a virgin giving birth is sort of like a supernatural bridge to the bar. You know, that seems too too crazy to me. Yes. And what I'd say to that is, it, it seems reasonable at first, but actually, if you think about it, if there is a God who made the universe and everyone in it, it's actually not irrational to think that he could have made one human being in a, in a very particular way. In fact, it would be a bit like saying to you know, Simone Biles, I know you're the greatest gymnast of all time, but I bet you can't do a somersault. <laughs> the actual, at the sort of level of a miracle, if there is a creator God, which admittedly is another question, but if there is a creator God, that the, the virgin birth of Jesus is actually very trivial from a purely sort of miracle point of view. Yeah. Now, the claim that this creator God himself, who made the universe, the galaxy, the stars, uh, every human being in existence in our entire world, became a human being in the person of this tiny baby Jesus, that is wild, like absolutely yeah. wild. 
but, but the, the simple fact that, that Jesus was born um, of a virgin isn't actually uh, sort of all that strange, if you think logically, um, from the possibility of there being a God. Now, some of you, other people will say, well, we know a lot about science today. 2,000 years ago, people didn't have the same sort of modern scientific understanding we have. And so for them, a virgin birth was plausible. For us today, it isn't. A couple of things I say to that is, one, actually, people back then knew the facts of life as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joseph, when he saw that, that Mary was pregnant, he quite naturally assumed that she'd slept with some other guy. Yeah. And it's a little bit hard for us to understand this passage because it talks about Joseph uh, divorcing Mary when, in fact, they were just um, betrothed. They weren't yet married. That's right. Uh, yeah. And betrothal in those days and in that culture was a, like a more formal version of our engagement. So it was at a pre-marriage thing. But to back out of it, it would be equivalent to divorce. So that's why it talks about Joseph divorcing Mary quietly. So, you know, 2,000 years ago, people also knew that you needed a mummy and a daddy to make a baby. Mm. And... Today, I've, I've had the privilege of, of getting to know some of the um, best scientists in the world, actually, um, in, in fields from physics to, to biology to, to chemistry. Uh, I live down the road from MIT here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I know um, dozens of, of world-class scientists who also believe that Jesus was born of a, of a virgin. Um, this is not something that that you can prove or disprove with the methods of science, of course, because science is looking at kind of repeatable events and normal workings of nature rather than at miraculous events. You know, by definition, you can't really uh, study uh, miracles with with the methods of science. But that doesn't mean that science disproves the possibility of miracles. Um, Actually, the the people who first even came up with this modern scientific method were were Christians who who believed what they did because they believed in a creator God, not, not they weren't sort of offering science as an alternative hypothesis to a creator God. Mm. Well, the idea of this virgin birth is, is continued or is expanded in the next part of Matthew's gospel, where Joseph reflects on the news that his uh, betrothed Mary is pregnant by supernatural means, perhaps. Uh, it says from 2.20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you've just mentioned before about uh, God being becoming a man or becoming a human or becoming a baby, as it says here, is kind of unbelievable. Uh, isn't that true? Isn't, isn't it unbelievable that God, something almighty, transcendent, can be, possibly become a small baby? Yeah, completely wild. Uh, the reality is, and, and the, the, the more I'm convinced, there is actually no way of understanding the world, but it doesn't require you to believe crazy stuff, right? <laughs> um, actually, and I write about this a little bit in the last chapter of the book, if you pull um, belief in God and general Christianity in particular out of your belief system, you end up with uh, no support for, for example, the belief that I'm sure all of the listeners share that all human beings are equally morally valuable or that the, the rich and the strong and the powerful shouldn't oppress the poor and the, poor and the marginalized. Um, the idea that men and women are equally morally valuable. These, these sorts of things actually come to us from Christianity. And if, if we pull Christianity out, we, we're left without that uh, firm foundation for those things. So, so the it's crazy whichever way, which, whichever side you sort of find yourself on, um, you're going to end up with some crazy beliefs. Uh, looking at that particular um, 
dream that, he, that Joseph has. Um, and I, I love how in Luke's gospel, we kind of see the story from Mary's perspective. And um, the angel meets with Mary in person, gives her the message. In Matthew, we see Joseph's experience of, of dreaming about an angel and him getting this message as well. And there are multiple surprising things in what the angel says. So one is, of course, the, the fact that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God, which would have been completely crazy for a, a first century Jew. Sure, the Greek and Roman so-called gods sometimes impregnated human women, but the God of the Old Testament was utterly transcendent, like the one true maker of all things, who the, the idea of that God, in fact, having a human baby is, is would have blown the mind of a first century mm. Jew. So Joseph's got a lot to process just with that information. <laughs> now, now, there was an expectation that God would send his, his Messiah, his Christ, his sort of long-promised king um, to his people, and that they'd been promised through the prophets for for centuries, so so many Jews of the first century were kind of looking for this this Messiah to come. So you know, great news: the Messiah is coming. The the other surprising news for Joseph is that this the, this Messiah is coming to save his people from their sins, rather than to save his people from the Romans. Because mm. for centuries, God's people have been basically kicked around from empire to empire. They'd had a sort of brief period of of self rule that had ended in in disaster about sort of sixty odd years earlier. And so they were very much hoping that God would send a Messiah to kick the Romans out and to reestablish them as, uh, you know, self-governing and, and in fact the sort of top nation rather than being the sort of subjugated um, race on, on Romans. So the angel's message that that Jesus, uh, the name means God saves, is going to save his people from their sins would have been a little bit surprising uh, from Joseph's perspective as well. Um, and then... Matthew's interpretation of this is delightful and, and challenging because he says this is to fulfill something that we heard about through the prophet Isaiah and references a prophecy about a, a baby being born who would be called Emmanuel. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Matthew, you just told us, or Gabriel just told us that the baby was going to be called Jesus. Mm. So how is this fulfilling a prophecy about a baby being called Emmanuel? Mm. But Matthew explains, Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus means God saves. And put those two together, and you find in Jesus the one who is God with us, and that is how he is saving. Mm. It's the, the God stepping into our universe, becoming flesh, taking on humanity with us in order to die the death that, that we deserve to save us from our sins and to give us the life that he deserves that we saw in Jesus's resurrection and, and, and promise to mm. his followers to, to give us new life if we put our trust in him so there's an awful lot packed in there yeah um, but it's incredibly powerful and profound what matthew's doing not just a like mistake but wait a minute he didn't read emmanuel right he's like emmanuel jesus which is it <laughs> yeah yeah so you think this is then at the heart of the christmas message yeah absolutely and uh, the as i said the the actual miracle element of it is is trivial but the the extraordinary nature of God himself becoming human is mind-blowing. And as we go on in the Gospels, and, and you see this early um, in Luke's account as well, we find that this great king sent by God, this, this God with us human, has come not to be served, but to serve. He's come not to kick the Romans out, but actually to be crucified by the Romans. Uh, he's come not to sort of live as this great luxurious king, but to live in poverty and to die in agony, and by that means to save his people from their sins, to save, save us from our sins. So 
the judgment due to, to us for our sins on Jesus on, on the cross. He is there being God with us. He is there being Jesus, um, meaning God saves. He, he, he is there taking the sins of, of his people, the sins of, of the whole world on himself. So what do you think then changes for us living in the modern world, knowing this about Jesus dying for sins or and also being with us? I think all of us, wherever we live and whatever our, our culture, whatever we believe about the world, I think all of us long for two things, to be known and to be loved. And I think pretty much for all of us as well, that's a little bit of a tension because there are certain parts of me, if you know, you and I have only just met remotely today, um, and there are certain parts of me that I could kind of present to you that might make you like me more. But if you suddenly started seeing, instead of just my, you know, my face on a on a screen, if you suddenly started seeing my thoughts, it's like little thought bubbles above my head, you would quickly discover things about me that would completely repulse you. Um, actually, I don't think it's just me. Maybe it is, but <laughs> I think for all of us, if we're, if we're honest, and maybe maybe your listeners would like to do the thought experiment between now and you know this time tomorrow, imagine that a little bit like in cartoons, your thoughts were sort of popping up above your head where other people could could read them. All of my relationships would be dead between now and next. I mean, I'd have to hide. I'd, I'd just have to not see anybody because even the people I really like, it's not that every thought I have is bad, but enough are that I would actually ruin all of my relationships even in in 24 hours one of the extraordinary things we see happening in Jesus is that the one person who in fact does see our thoughts does know every grim and grisly detail of us actually also is the one who loves us completely loves us we talk about loving somebody to death few of us really mean that when we say it but Jesus actually loved each one of us to death he loved us to the point of being willing to die our death for us and to invite us into a life with him to which the, the absolute most intimate, exciting, amazing human romance could only ever point. Like could only ever be a tiny little signpost to his love. Mm. Um, the narrative concludes in verses 24 to 25 and wraps up the Christmas story. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So this concludes Matthew's the version of the nativity story here. Now, it's, it's a nice story, Rebecca, but why does it matter for us today? It, it matters hugely because, as, as I mentioned briefly earlier, it, if there is no God, and in particular, if Jesus isn't who he claims to be, then everything that we hold dear morally crumbles in our hands. Now, you might say, well, you would say that you're a Christian. It's a little bit like, I don't know if you ever saw the film My Big, um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It was yes, kind of yes. classic from a couple of decades ago. But there's a the father in that film is always claiming everything is Greek. He's like, show me something and I'll tell you why it's Greek. So maybe you know, you're, you're listening to a Christian. Of course, I would say the entire sort of moral foundation of your life crumbles without Christianity. Of course, I'd say that. In the last couple of years, I've had the interesting experience of reading a number of non-Christian historians who are saying exactly the same thing. Mm. You know, one example is um, Tom Holland, a British historian, who wrote this uh, massive uh, book on the last 2,000 years of Christian history in, in the 
West um, called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And he was writing as a non-Christian historian, um, very much more attracted to the Greek and Roman gods than to the sort of seemingly pathetic hero of Christianity, um, which is why he sort of abandoned belief in God, the Christian God early in life. And he's concluded that actually the things that we see today is self-evident moral truths, like, as I mentioned earlier, all human beings are morally equal. The powerful shouldn't beat on the, the poor and the weak and the marginalised. Um, women are equal to men. Sexes should be consensual rather than an exercise of power of, of a man, um, which all of these things is what folks would have thought in the Greco-Roman Empire into which Christianity was born. Um, but, but in fact, our, our core moral beliefs that seem like they, they don't depend on any religious foundation to us today, in fact, have come to us from Christianity. Or another example is um, Yul Noah Harari, an um, Israeli uh, atheist historian. He wrote, mm. say, global bestseller, sold like you know, millions of copies. And in that book, he'll say things like, um, homo sapiens have no natural rights, just as chimpanzees, hyenas, and spiders have no natural rights. He says human rights are a figment of our fertile imaginations. And then that actually it's Christianity that's sort of told us these things. Uh, and, and if we don't believe that Christianity is true anymore, why would we believe these things? So what difference does it make if the Christian story, if the Christmas story is true? Well, if the Christmas story isn't true and Jesus is not, in fact, the literal son of God, then he isn't the savior of the world. Um, he, he, is, he doesn't have the right to give us the moral foundations in which we've been living patchily, albeit patchily, for the last 2,000 years. But at the same time, if he is, if the Christmas story is true, and if he is God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus, God saves, and he has come for each of us. It means that every person listening today is loved by God in the most profound way, that the maker of the whole universe loves them. And, and this, I've been reading a little book on space with my son, who's three recently, and it sort of reminded me how extraordinarily big our universe is. Yes. I mean, we're, we're like one tiny little planet in one tiny little solar system. In one, I mean, we're, we're like a speck in the great cosmos even from what we know scientifically and that's not something that that disrupts my faith in god it actually reinforces it because it, i believe in as early as the psalms um the psalmist is asking the question you know as i look at the sky and the, the the stars and the sky and the sun and the moon what are human beings that you would care for us like why on earth would the god who made this universe care for little specks of dust on a little speck of dust like you and me well, the claim of Christmas is that he does. Mm. That's pretty astonishing then, I suppose, and makes Christmas pretty significant then. Yeah, completely significant and unbelievable in both senses. Uh, it, it's it's not something that we can just sort of remain agnostic as to whether it's true or not, as if it doesn't really matter. It's not a sort of a nice story that we can celebrate, um, you know, to keep us warm or, or cool, I suppose, in, in Australia. There's less of a need for warmth around Christmas than there is <laughs> in the wilds of, of North America, where, where I'm living at the moment. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a story that demands that we believe it or disbelieve it, actually. Mm. So, Rebecca, what then made you believe that Christmas and the Christian faith altogether wasn't unbelievable? You know, I, I grew up in a family that... Um, went to church, um, albeit we're sort of a mixed Christian background. My mum's from a Catholic family. My dad's from a sort of church family. And on both sides, there are some people who I think actually believe in Jesus as the son of God and others who just sort of went to church and did as a person of their um, you know, background and, and, and situation. 
Um, and I uh, remember at least from about age nine, feeling pretty sure about Jesus and knowing that it really mattered. Mm. Uh, and people sometimes ask me, I've, I've spent a lot of time since then, um, I've been in educational uh, institutions that were, I was interacting with very intelligent people. And, and since then, I've done a, a lot of reading of, of folks who are not Christians at all. And people sometimes say, well, has that ever disrupted your faith? And, and oddly enough, it's done the precise opposite. The more that I read of atheist and agnostic authors, the more convinced I am that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And, and also, the more I, I'm, I'm writing a book on women in the Gospels at the moment, and, and the more that I read and learn from the Gospels, the more convinced I am that they are, in fact, giving us access to eyewitness testimony of Jesus' life. So some, sometimes when you look at something more closely, it becomes less compelling. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you sort of start to see the cracks. Actually, the, the closer I have looked at, at the Gospels, the, the more I've engaged with the Christmas story, the more compelling I found it. Mm. Well, so you found it more compelling, but what difference has it made for you in your life? You know, it makes every difference. One difference is, were I not a Christian, and this is a whole other conversation, where I, I've always been attracted to women predominantly um, rather than men. Uh, were I not a Christian, I think I would likely be married to a woman today rather than to a man I'm very happily married to um, a man but uh, that would have been a big difference in my life if if I were not a Christian Um, I currently spend um, all my professional time um, learning and talking about Jesus in various contexts and if Jesus isn't who he says he is I'm wasting my time completely Um, I I spend the rest of my time for example the last couple of weeks uh, going around our our neighbourhoods um, in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is not the Bible Belt of America, let's, let's put it that way, you know, knocking on people's doors and inviting them to a carol service of this bit, because I think it actually makes a life and death difference to every human being on this planet, whether Jesus is who he says he is and, and whether they have um, received him or not. And it makes a difference to my friendships, to my parenting, to I don't know an aspect of my life that it doesn't make a difference to, to be honest. Wow, that's pretty all-encompassing then. Indeed. The yeah. thing is, well, the, the earliest Christian creed or statement of belief was Jesus is Lord. And that can sort of, you know, roll off a tongue quite easily. But if you really internalize it, it means that every second of your life belongs to him. Mm. So, Rebecca, is Christmas unbelievable? Uh, yes, in the sense of being so amazing that you could hardly believe that it's true. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where you've thought, wait a minute, this this is too good to be true. Christmas is unbelievable in that sense, but it's true. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, is Christmas unbelievable? From Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And also Matthew 1, 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin. Thanks for having me. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.